Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. Let's, um, let's pray. Almighty God, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, we pray that you would guide us uh, into the light of your truth this morning, that we might live, that we might live well and wisely and bring glory to you today and always. Amen. I'll just adjust this. Well, the notion that we can be whoever we want to be or be whatever uh, we want to be is all around us. <clears throat> it's there in the, the galleries of images we construct on social media. Self-branding is now big, big business too. Some social media influencers get paid thousands, tens of thousands of pounds for posting a single photo uh, of themselves with the product on Instagram. It's there in the messaging of mainstream media. Uh, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, um, and a leading feminist, has been repeatedly criticized and, and canceled for being a so-called TERF. A TERF is a trans-exclusory, uh, radical feminist. The reason being that she wants to defend the biological realities of women. It's there in the educational theories embedded in our schools. The assumption that children learn best by a, a child-led personal discovery rather than education or educator-driven transmission of enduring principles is a relatively modern one. You could argue it's there in our nation's approach to COVID. Uh, the mantras control the virus, stop the spread, presume that it's in our power to do so. The idea that we can be whoever or whatever we want to be is also fueled by technological progress. We have access to more tools, sources of information, people, places than anyone else in human history. And yet the question is, are we any better for it? Just listen to this. This is what John Stott, uh, the great John Stott, wrote in 1982. This is. 40 years ago, this is what he said about um, computers. It is difficult to imagine the world in the year AD 2000, by which time versatile microprocessors are likely to be as common as simple calculators are today. We should certainly welcome the fact that the silicon chip will transcend human brain power as the machine has transcended human muscle power. Much less welcome will be the probable reduction of human contact as the new electronic network renders personal relationships ever less necessary. In such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important, whose members meet one another and talk and listen to one another in person rather than on screen. In this human context of mutual love, the speaking and hearing of the word of God is also likely to become more necessary for the preservation of our humanness, not less. That was written 40 years ago. And it's not that technology itself is an evil, but rather using whatever resources we have at our disposal, we have, as uh, Charles Taylor puts it, reimagined the self. And at the heart of that modern sense of self, of what it means to be human, is the illusion of self-creation. 
That's the air we breathe or the water we swim in. We are unavoidably conditioned by it. We can be whoever or whatever we want to be. Over the next six weeks, we'll be hearing from the book of Ecclesiastes. And the message of the book gets right to the heart of what it means to be human and what it means to live. These 3,000-year-old words have the capacity to speak very powerfully into our contemporary lives and cultures and to change us. The sermon today is something of an introduction, dipping our feet into the, the waters of the first chapter. And we'll simply be looking at Ecclesiastes, how to hear it, life, how to see it, and wisdom, how to find it. So first, Ecclesiastes, how to hear it. Um, during our Christmas break, I did what I always do and packed a bag full of books to take uh, with me um, away. On, it wasn't so much a holiday as a you know, travel around the country to see various people, but um, I took a bag of books to read, and as usual, I barely made a dent in them. Uh, the truth is, when it comes to novels at least, I find it hard to get going because I find tuning into a new author's voice quite difficult. Until I get familiar with them, I don't really understand or take in what they're saying. And you might find that with Ecclesiastes, because frankly, the author and the book may seem pretty weird to our modern ears. So here are just a few details about the kind of writing it is. Ecclesiastes is simply the Greek word for one who gathers, uh, one who gathers to teach, basically. In Hebrew, it's koheleth. In English, it's often translated teacher or preacher. And so the book is named after the author. Uh, some say the words belong to Solomon himself, the great King Solomon. Others, a later king. Uh, still others say it's someone adopting a, a Solom Solomon-like persona. But the exact identity isn't the most important thing, because the primary author is, of course, the Holy Spirit. In terms of genre, the book sits in the wisdom literature portion of the Bible alongside Proverbs and Job. And as the name suggests, the wisdom of books impart wise instruction for living. But not just in the way that we might write an instruction manual. Ecclesiastes is shaped by poetry spoken like a sermon and, and takes us on an often roundabout way or, or, or quest for meaning. Um, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's, it's more like a long journey to Middle Earth than the non-stop service to London Marlebone from Banbury. The message and theme of the book revolves around the word repeated four times in verse 2 in our Bibles, in that reading we had read, and 36 times in the whole book. In our church Bibles, the word is translated meaningless. The Hebrew word for it, which we'll come back to time and time again over the next six weeks, is hebel, which is a notoriously difficult word to translate. In a literal sense, hebel means something like breath, which I can almost see this morning in church in so-called, or, or vapor, or wind, i.e. it's something that I can't quite grab onto, like smoke. You might see it in front of you, but when you try to take hold of it, it escapes through your fingers. Or like the morning mist, it looks impenetrable, but you can walk straight through it. And so meaningless or vanity 
doesn't really cut it. The idea of Hebel is more like elusive. It describes what we all know about life, that good things don't last, that beauty fades away. Things have, have meaning, but they are fleeting. And trying to take permanent hold of them is like chasing after the wind, which is a phrase that the, the writer uses. Life is another big theme in Ecclesiastes um, because it's likewise, like the book itself, and like the word Hebel, it's, it's elusive. It's full of good to enjoy. In fact, the teacher repeatedly tells us to eat and drink uh, of what's been given to us in creation. But life under the sun is also full of contradictions. We struggle, we suffer, we become disillusioned, and then we die. Now, some interpreters think that the gloominess within the book suggests a, a pessimistic message overall. At best, they think Ecclesiastes acts like a negative witness to the gospel, simply showing what life is like for those without Christ. I.e., the gospel is good news, but Ecclesiastes isn't. However, that's certainly not all Ecclesiastes is and does. What I hope we'll find as we go through this book is the honesty and realism in these words is part of the teacher's life-enjoying and joy-affirming message. So how do we live and find joy in life? Well, we need wisdom. Wisdom that is beyond and outside of our grasp. Wisdom that comes to us not by seeking it, but as we'll discover, even the pursuit of wisdom itself can be like chasing after the wind, but by seeking the one in whom wisdom is found. The ancient, uh, ancient Christian writers used the phrase faith-seeking understanding. The idea is that faith in God moves us closer to the knowledge of the truth. Or as Proverbs 1.7 puts it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So with faith and humility, let's gather around the teacher and hear his words of wise instruction. And here we turn to the next heading, life, how to see it. Verse three again, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And that phrase under the sun is another frequently repeated phrase in Ecclesiastes. It, it describes life in creation after the fall. And right from the beginning, the teacher hits us with some hard facts about life under the sun. He says, life is short. Generations come and generations go. Like my breath in the, in the frosty air, is there one moment and gone the next. He says, the world doesn't need us. Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. In the words of Peter Green of Fleet, Fleetwood Mac, the world keeps on turning. He says nothing satisfies, nothing lasts. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear 
its fill of hearing. Our hunger always returns. After living for the weekend, Monday always comes. There's nothing new, he says. Um, verse 9, what has, there, what has been will be again, and what has done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Now, the, the teacher here doesn't mean that there's nothing new that's ever been invented. Um, you know, we've substituted John Stott's calculators for uh, mobile phones, which are, are more powerful than most PCs were about 10 years ago. What he means, as David Gibson puts it, is that there is nothing new we can ever discover to break the cycle of life under the sun and so satisfy us. When we conquer our solar system, humanity will then try to conquer the, the galaxy beyond it. We never have our fill. There is nothing new about humanity in the unfolding of all our progress. There's nothing new. And he says, the world goes on without us. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are, are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Here's a question. Do you know the names of your great-grandparents? What about your great-great-grandparents? Most people are forgotten in just a few generations. Everything is hebel. Vapor, breath, ungraspable. Now, you could be forgiven for asking, um, how does this help exactly? How does this view of life help us to live? Wouldn't it be better if we just pretended that death won't come to us, that human innovation will enable us to live longer, healthier lives, and that we can be whoever or whatever we want to be? Well, Ecclesiastes would say, look around. Has insulating ourselves from the reality of death freed our society from anxiety? Has self-creation led to happiness? Has self-governance led to freedom or peace? According to Ecclesiastes, accepting Hebel is one of the first steps to really living. Because Hebel challenges the illusion of our modern sense of self and the false hopes preached to us by others under the sun. If you try to grasp or hold on to anything as an end in itself, it will leave you empty. Whether that's work, pleasure, family, wealth, property, success, long life, status, health, there are no guarantees with anything under the sun. As much as we try to grip onto it, life is simply out of our control. And paradoxically, when you accept that, it, it's freeing. If I may provide a personal example, uh, for years and years after my dad died, I struggled with health-related anxiety and depression. I had panic attacks in shops. After teaching a class at school when I was a teacher, I'd go home and hide away in the safety of my bed. 
Now, I, I still struggle with those things, not to the same extent and, and not at the same frequency. I've, so I've not been completely delivered from those things by any means. But by God's grace, accepting Hebel, accepting my weakness and fragility as a human being, which for me included getting help and, and treatment, has meant I can live. I enjoy good things for what they are, gifts from God in the time that he gives them. And now, actually, I can say I'm grateful for what I went through. I'm even grateful for the experience of depression and anxiety because it taught me more about what it means to be human. And through it, I was lifted to the one who is not like us, who in his perfect goodness and by his perfect power is more than able to hold me in my weakness. So turning to us, it would be remiss if I didn't ask these sorts of questions, and they're just questions to think about. But what might accepting Hebel look like for us in the midst of COVID? How might it differ from those around us? How can we love our neighbors during this particular time? What would display to them life as it's meant to be lived? Now, I'm not going to provide quick and easy answers to those questions. All of these things demand humble reflection by all of us collectively. Ecclesiastes demands that we contemplate on our teacher's words, which help us to read the world around us in all of its complexities, paradoxes, joys, and sorrows. It's not a message that you can keep in your pocket like an energy bar and, and just pull out and uh, give you bite-sized application. Ecclesiastes, like all of life, is varied and, and strange and unpredictable. So don't miss the opportunity to sit under the teacher's wisdom. That brings us back, finally, to the subject of wisdom and how to find it. As we've heard already, today is Epiphany in the church's calendar, when we remember the Magi, who after the first Christmas traveled from afar to see and worship the infant king. And they are a model for us. Because they didn't find their own way there, they followed the light of Christ given to guide their way. And that same light is present here in the words in your hands, in Ecclesiastes. The language used here is, um, is found right at the end of the book. If you turn to, to chapter 12, verse 1, you'll see it. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And chapter 12, verse th 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Here's the thing. We need to look above the sun to live beneath it. Faith-seeking understanding. Recognizing our creatureliness, it is by remembering our God that we come to know anything. As the Magi discovered, Jesus Christ is both the source and substance of that wisdom. 
because he is the son of God. He's the true Ecclesiastes, the true preacher, teacher, the author of all knowledge. Because he is the, the new Adam. He's the embodiment of wisdom who shows us what it truly means to be human. By following that light, by faith, we will find wisdom for every time and season. As we'll discover from these 3,000-year-old words of the teacher, that includes very apt and contemporary things like loneliness, stress, frustrations that things don't pan out as we hope, a lack of fulfillment, broken dreams, the uncertainties of youth, the struggles of old age, food, work, rest, family, injustice, politics, different times and seasons, finding joy, facing death. It won't necessarily be an easy journey, but in the guidance of the teacher, it will be a good one. If you'd like to go deeper into the book and explore its profound meaning and relevance for us today, as we go through it over the next six weeks, I'd recommend this book. I've mentioned David, David Gibson once, but it's called Destiny. Um, and it, it, it goes through Ecclesiastes and has some, some wonderful reflections on it. But if there are enough people who want to read and, and buy this book, we may be able to get a bulk discount. Uh, speak to Tor Moyer if you're interested in that. She's here up at the front in the green coat. Um, but for now, uh, let's close in prayer. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the ways in which you have already uh, shown us today, even just in part, of how uh, ungraspable and elusive life is to us. And we pray that we'd understand that more deeply, uh, not that we might be um, burdened or beat down by it, but that through accepting it, we might truly live and be freed to worship you and to live for you and to enjoy all the good things that you give us in the right time and in the right ways. Lord, we pray that through this series, as we study it on Sunday mornings and perhaps in grow groups as well, uh, you would show us true wisdom, life-giving um, and joy-affirming wisdom. Uh, please grow us as a church, we pray. Amen.